Sunny 16 presents. Welcome to episode 34 of I Dream of Cameras, the podcast about cameras and camera collecting, brought to you by the gang at the Sunny 16 podcast. My name is Jeff Greenstein. And my name is Gabe Sachs. Welcome, welcome to episode 34. My age. It's so nice to what? have a, uh, a show crazy it's coincidence. It's crazy. It's so weird. So weird. But you know, some important things happened 34 years ago. Jeff, did you know that? <laughs> We're talking about 1988. Yes. Okay. All right. Go mm -hmm. for it. Go for it. One of the most important contributions to photography happened in 1988, and that was table tennis became an Olympic sport. <laughs> um, it's the national sport of China, and I just thought, you know, there you go. I mean, a number of the photographic innovations of the 1980s and 90s were driven by a desire to photograph table tennis more effectively. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. The that other important sense. other important thing, which actually was very important, it was amazing when it came out, was Microsoft Office. Ooh. That was kind of I mean, of who like, doesn't remember wow. that? Where were you? Do I'm you remember the moment you, you heard? I, I just remember Office seeing it. Yeah. Office yeah. is I remember outside the guy on the horse yelling, Office is out. The office is out. Wasn't I remember that the, the lines, the yes. lines outside the Microsoft stores. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah. Exactly. I think the only thing I can tell you photographically is the Fuji DS1P is considered Ooh. the first true digital camera. It used oh. to record images in a two megabyte SRAM memory card that held five to a maximum of 10 photographs. <laughs> I have no memory of this camera at all. Crazy, right? Wow. All yeah. right. That's a good fact. Welcome that to our show. That is a good show. fact. There you Welcome go. to our show. This is a wonderful episode. Yes. What do we have coming in the last half of today's episode, Gabe? One of our favorite people, and I don't say that lightly. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Trev Lee will be on our show. We love Trev. Amazing. His YouTube videos, his photographic knowledge, his association with the amazing Darkroom Lab. We're very excited that he is on our show. Yes, it's a great conversation, and we will be getting to that shortly. And when I say shortly, I mean very shortly, because we are going to speed through the Open. First, a little recap of some of the other events of the week. Gabe, what happened in the camera collecting community? What was the big news of the weekend? The big news of the weekend is I was able to buy this camera for $12 million. What did you get? Is that a Leica 2? A Leica 3? Uh, uh, <laughs> Leica 0. Uh... All right, they didn't go public with this, but there was an auction <laughs> yes. of exotic and rare photographica, and the O-series Leica that was owned by Oscar Barnack was bought by a phantom bidder for $12 million. They did not say who the bidder was. We can now reveal exclusively on this podcast, it was Gabe Sachs. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. It was yep. uh, it was good. It, look, if it if it went twelve nine, I was out. <laughs> there was no way that I was billed. I mean, first of all, let let's go back for this, okay? Seriously, for seriously, this is a camera, and I'm not being mean. I don't know if that camera works. Okay, let's just talk about it. Okay, <laughs> that, that camera, you get the camera, you're like fell with the with the loading of it. I mean, it's all like no this, meter, no meter. And you're not shooting much action with it. 
You have but, to cap the lens before you advance the film. <laughs> right. Other than that. And that's really inconvenient right. in high-speed shooting situations. And yes, it is a his- historic piece, but my goodness. Now, I'm not clear on one thing. Did Camera Rescue own that camera? Because they seem to have every other one, you mean? Well, no, they were involved in some way. There was some article. Oh, they were? Seriously. Oh, yeah. There was something. I'm, I, I may have this wrong. But anyway, there, it just seems like, wow. I mean, you know. And who found that camera? Did so, Was this yeah. going along? Because if I'm not wrong, the last one sold for a little over $2 million in 2018, if I remember that right. I may not. That was before but the price of Portra went up. That I think there's something... <laughs> I think that's, you know, see, that's the, lining that's up there. That's the thing, right? Yeah. So two million now, two million dollars. Who doesn't understand that for a camera that doesn't work and doesn't have a meter? <laughs> yeah. For twelve million dollars, Gabe yep. and I were talking about this just before we got on. Yes. You could start a photography school. Oh, seriously? You and? could bring back pack film. Yes. All for yes, much less than that. Yes. Now, the truth is, Gabe Sachs is rolling in it right now because. <laughs> He went, I, I can't even believe the words I'm about to say. Oh, this is, guys, it's an emotional moment. So Brace yourself. Please, if you're driving, pull over right now. I mean, in 34 episodes, we've never said these words. Gabe sold some cameras. It's true. I it's was shocking, there. but true. Yeah. I would not have believed it were I not there to witness it. You saw it. You saw Gabe, it happen. T- talk about, how did it happen? How did it come to pass? So the funny thing is we go there and what Jeff doesn't know is I pick him up. We go to L.A. Film Camera, which, you know, we love those guys. And we get out of the car and I was not going to take my suitcase that I had filled with cameras out because I was like, oh, they're not going to buy it. And then what got me to take him out, it was was like, I'm just going to take them out and see what happens. And I had these two Bronicas, which are great cameras, the SQA and the SQAI. And I just didn't for me i just felt the focusing and the it was just it was not my thing for some reason and i just sort of it was time to say goodbye to something and it was either that or the hossies and i said these two i'm just gonna see and i'm going to sell them for what i bought them for i just feel like you know passing on cameras and passing them you know to the next person i just think all that stuff is good so i get there and they ask me how much I'm going to sell them for it. I literally tell them I'm going to sell them to you for what I bought it for. And you could sort of see a few grins. Yes. But uh, they were amazing. First of all, they were so great. And they're always so generous with us. We love that I couldn't be happier uh, if they can make some money on those. That would be great. And they know the cameras well. So uh, I sold both cameras and the stuff, the the lenses and all that stuff too. So I got to say, okay, first of all, LA Film Camera is great. They're in Studio City. The family that runs it is amazing. They served us coffee and baklava and we talked for hours and I I mean they could not have been lovelier about this I will also say I saw no evidence of trauma in Gabe Sachs I I really expected I didn't see any emotional fallout from this decision you seem very serene I I, it was it was a nice feeling I mean I, I I I actually went home and said Okay, now I can bring a couple more cameras. Now I realize that I have a bunch of stuff that I don't use that it's time to sell. That's excellent. Yeah. That is excellent. Good. Look at him go, guys. Yep. Look at the evolution it's that we happened. have witnessed. It's happened. It's remarkable. And it's great because those are two excellent cameras that you have released into the wild. 
and now somebody else will benefit. That perhaps, what's her name again? <laughs> Tessa, <laughs> the 22-year-old graduate student at UT Austin who's yes. on an I Dream of Cameras t-shirt. Exactly. Right? She might want one of those Bronicas. That's fantastic. I think she'll I'm so one. proud of you. Thank you. In other news, we mentioned this on our Instagram, but I think it is worth saying on the podcast. Big, big news out of Her Majesty's United Kingdom. This is In true. conjunction with the Jubilee. I just made that part up. <laughs> Paul Berkland Green is making the thingy. Now, so those exciting. of you who have stayed with this podcast since the beginning know that the thingy is an adapter ring that enables you to take a 675 hearing aid battery, which go for about a quarter a piece, and adapt them to fit in a lot of these 1970s cameras that take the now obsolete Mercury PX625 battery. The thingy is not too expensive, and I made a custom URL so that you don't have to remember how to get to Paul Berkland Green's website. Right. You go to tinyurl.com slash I want the thingy. So good. Let me It'll ask you, you something. This is something I don't know. Is yes. that the only size battery it will take? Uh, that particular I'm, thingy? Yeah, I'm wondering if there's like another, because I see so many hearing aid batteries, and I just never know if you could put another one in there that look the same size, but they're different numbers. I don't know. I think the idea with the 675 is that its voltage and its voltage curve Got are it. roughly the same as the 625, so it's a great substitute. I bought five of them i think nice. it was like to buy five don't hold me to this guys but i think to buy five was about 20 bucks so good what a deal yep i just got you two. bought some as well yep, yep just got them go to tinyurl.com slash i want the thingy tell them i dream of cameras sent you it's a great thing it's totally great and he is manufacturing them for a short time so get in there so exciting i love that next i want to ask you a question yes it's unusual right now because I have a number of cameras which are loaded simultaneously. Yes. Five of them. Yes. I have a Polaroid 690, which is loaded with blue duochrome, a yep. Roly XF35 with Ilford Pan F50 in it, a yep. Perkeo with Portra 400 in it, yep. a Nikon FM3A with Ektachrome in it, and yep. a Minox BL with black and white 400 in it. Five cameras simultaneously. Yeah. Very unusual for me. You know how many I usually have loaded? How many? One. Wow. How many cameras do you have loaded with film right now? First of all, why would I ever load multiple cameras with film? That seems ridiculous. I think I have Ooh. seven right now. <laughs> I think I have seven. Now, here's the deal, okay? And this is what's upsetting to me. I always go, oh, I'm gonna sh I load the cameras, and I go, I'm going to shoot that tomorrow. And then I come in my office, and I go, there's that camera just sitting there with film. This, so here's what I got right now. I got the RZ67 with 160, okay. Portra 160 in it, I, and I've got a, another back filled with... 160. I have my Leica M6 TTL filled with Acros mm. 100. Old I or new Acros? New. Ah, new. nice. Okay. New. I have the Contax T2, which I'm trying to make a decision whether I'm going to let that camera go or not. Ooh. And that has with some old Fuji Pro something, Pro S, yeah. I think. Then I have my multi-tele with which broke down in the middle of it and so uh, that's filled with kodak gold i have my roloflex 2.8 e2 filled with triax wait do you know this from memory are you doing this from memory yes yes 
that you're like Rain Man. No, that's I'm, incredible. <laughs> I'm just thinking what's in the camera bags and and what's what I'm looking wow. at right now in my office. And then I have another. Oh, I have my um, the little five dollar camera that I got the oh Olympus, yeah the Olympus Junior yeah Infinity Junior filled with Kodak Gold too. So there you go. I, I got, does it I'm bother sure you when more. film languishes in the camera for a long time? Yes. About, yeah. It bugs me. It drives me nuts because I, and I, and of course I don't know. Oh my god, did the heat in my car affect it? Did the you know? Yeah. It's all that stuff. It's it's just makes me crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to put it to the teeming millions. Yes. Do you have multiple cameras loaded simultaneously? As I said, for me, having five loaded at the same time is very unusual. Also, how do you keep track of it? Now, I know some of these cameras have little windows in the back. Some right. Maybe some of you use the little film reminder thing where you can put the tab from right. the film box in there. I keep a note on my iPhone of all the film that's in my fridge and all the film that's in my cameras. Does that make wow. me weird? It, no, that that's, me, that's yeah. called organized. That's what I am not. That's what I do. So I can right. see at a glance where everything is deployed and also what I'm short of. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I even keep track on this little document of how much film is left in my bulk loader. And wow. I update it every time I spin off another five feet. That is so impressive. Yeah, I guess. It's very consistent with my personality. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's hear from you. And speaking of let's hear from you, Gabe, the mailbag overflows. Oh, my goodness. We have an overflowing mailbag. Now, we're not going to hit them all this week. As a matter of fact, we might have to do an all-mailbag episode coming up to take care of the 20 emails which are sitting in the queue. But we're going to knock off a couple of them right now before we go into the Trevely interview. Are you ready? I'm ready. First up, (laughs) you're going to regret that you said that because first (laughs) up is Martin McPherson. Oh, it never (laughs) stops. Just when I think it's not going to happen, it happens. Okay. It's That's another again. thing for the team for the teeming millions. How do you feel about the accent work on the show? Yes, yes I mean there exactly. is Gabe's French accent, oui, which oui. we've heard we heard a little bit of oui, last oui. week, uh, and then of course there's all of the the rainbow of accents I do from Her Majesty's United Kingdom, exactly. and Australia. <laughs> oh, That's yeah. all I think I've done. But, mm-hmm. but let's hear your thoughts on. It. Okay, Martin says. <laughs> Martin, by the way, an extremely patient man, is Audioper on Instagram, A-U-D-I-O-P-E-R. Check out his photography. Here is his email. Hello again, Gabe and Jeff. I want to continue the praise for the episode with Sissy Lou. She's great. The conversation was brilliant. Guys, we have a number of these conversations inbound. We're glad you're enjoying them. He said, this is a big way to keep pumping up women in photography, which I think gets talked about a lot, but little gets done by us dumb men. Good job, guys. Thank you for that. Thank you, thank you. He said, I think you guys should do an episode about the how, where, what of a portrait shoot like Gabe's adventure with Brenton Thwaites. I am fascinated by portraiture and want to get into it, but don't really have a clue where to start, especially being a bit shy. But I have to say, eight cameras. Good Lord. I would be permanently (laughs) paralyzed. I've taken just three cameras on hikes before and had choice troubles. I guess it's one thing if you're shooting all day, plenty of time to dedicate to each option. But wow, for me, it even segues into your mention of Marie Nikondo. I feel too many camera options means you can't get especially excellent at any one camera. Practice, you know? It could be right. Yep. 
Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Here's his thoughts on travel. He said, if I'm traveling, I really want to bring good gear. It's usually an SLR and some lenses for walking around and something extra like a Polaroid. Again, too many choices means choice paralysis. Olympus SLRs keep the size down, which helps, and either an SX-70 or the Polaroid Go, which are both easy to pack, or a plastic box Polaroid, which is lighter than anything. Very interesting. We love hearing about this from you guys, the travel camera tips. It is the summer of travel. Keep sending them in. Yes. Lastly, he says, I had a Nikonos 3. It's a very cool thing. And with how the lens shows the focus distance, it makes a smart street shooter. It's very quiet and unassuming, though a hefty thing. I shot it side by side with a, oh boy, Canon Prima AS1, a.k.a. Sure Shot A1, a.k.a. Auto Boy D5. <laughs> Ugh, Canon and their different names for different market strategy. Even James Bond usually just stuck to his usual nom de guerre for a whole friggin' movie. The cameras are actually fairly similar, despite the Nikonos being a proper diving camera and the Prima being a standard 90s point-and-shoot with some underwater capabilities. Hilariously, they are also similarly priced on the bay. Different cameras for different purposes and preferences, but you can't argue with that Nikon glass, as you said. Thanks again, Martin! Yes, thank you. Very nice. And then, next, and probably final, <laughs> C.B. Adams. He says, Hey, camera dreamers, dream team, a.k.a. Jeff and Gabe. Great last episode, and not just because you read part of my email. You brought up an issue I have had to face in the past couple of years when my local gym went bankrupt due to the pandemic. I was forced to find a new way to exercise. He chose a recumbent tricycle. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay. It's all right. He says he rides it on a nearby trail, which is what I would do because I would not want to be seen on one of those things. <laughs> I, a few minutes after leaving the parking lot, I'm in farm country. He said, of course, I want to bring along a camera or two. He says he has no shocks, so it can be a bumpy ride. He was worried about the long-term effects of vibration. He right. added a small trunk which what? is big enough to put in a 4x5 field camera, but the largest camera I've taken to date is a Holga a Diana clone, and a Lubitel 2. I have also carried a Leica 3C. Woo! Nice. But after losing a vintage lens that cost $75 to replace, I reconsidered taking such quality gear. I definitely would not take my M3 or Roloflex. His solution has been a Zorky 4 or Fed 2 and the light meter app on his phone. He uses a padded telephoto case to cushion the camera. And he sent some pictures. The pictures are lovely, by the way, CB. Very nice. Biking, guys. Love hearing those tips. Yep. As always, gang, you can email us at idreamofcameras at gmail.com. With that, we will gently close the overflowing (laughs) mailbag. Now I throw it to Gabe to introduce our guest. Well, I'm going to hold up the $12 million camera (laughs) and just pose. Um, yeah. So anyway, look, if you're in the photographic community, which you all are, you know, Trev Lee, he does amazing work at the darkroom. He's a great photographer. He teaches us many things about photography. He goes out and compares cameras. It goes on and on. But you will learn a lot in our interview right now with Mr. Trev Lee. All right, so now we are joined by Mr. Trevely. Welcome to I Dream of Cameras. Hey, guys. How's it going? So good. We're so happy you're here because we've uh, talked to you for so long. Uh, As people remember, we did a camera trade, which was very, very, very exciting. Let's start with that. 
Yeah. What was that trade and how did it pan out, gentlemen? Well, here's the deal. I like it's I love Trev's video. So it's very fun to see him do, you know, where he compares cameras. And I just think that's the coolest thing. So I am always asking, like, I want to send him as many cameras as I can <laughs> for him to just because he makes my cameras famous. So I just go, I can go, I can look at the camera and go, hey, my camera's on TV. I really, I did something really fun, but no, it went really well. I was really excited. It was an M5 for a uh, Rolleiflex 2.8C, and I love it. I, I just, love, I thought it was so much fun. I had never done that before. I thought it was great, great. What do you think? And how did it work out on your end there, Trev? How was your end? Well, it worked out great. I mean, it's it's also really cool how it happened because, um, like, I contacted Gabe because I knew that he liked rolly flexes and twin lens reflexes. And I was looking into getting one and I was like telling him about that. And then it just kind of happened where I was in a period where I was ready to move on from my M five, uh, because of, uh, well, I was going to grab the camera, but it's not right by me because of an FM three a, um, I was just shooting with it so much that I couldn't justify having that camera with me. Um, and I had sold one of the lenses, so it just worked out really well that, um, that trade happened and, uh, and I love the, I have it right here as you guys can see, but obviously listeners can't see, but, um, (laughs) yeah, I love the Rolly flex. Um, it's a great camera for portraiture. And now that I'm back in, uh, Ohio, when I traded, I was in California. I started shooting portraits a lot with it. And now that I'm back here around my family and friends from a long time ago, I'm r- ready to kind of get back in the groove of uh, taking portraits with it a lot more. That's so fun. Had you shot with a two and a quarter camera before that? Uh, yeah, I but never owned one. I'd shot with um, a friend's Hasselblad 500 like CM, uh, and I really like it. I only like square format for portraits though. I don't, doesn't seem, same. Yeah. It doesn't seem to work for me for landscapes. Um, mm-hmm. and, yep. and even candids, it doesn't seem to work as well. It seems like it's just something that works really well, really intentional portraiture straight on talking to them. I think a lot of it has to do with obviously the format, but also just, you know, square format cameras are, intriguing to the people so when i'm taking portraits with them as well there's that element as well yeah um i want to dive in on something you just kind of alluded to which is that you don't have that many cameras what (laughs) wait what you let one go when you're not using it very much this is an alien notion (laughs) oh completely particularly to gabe sex yes so do you have a large collection of cameras I do and I don't. I mean, I guess for what I do, I don't think I, I have that large of one. Uh, and if I wasn't working for the dark room, I wouldn't have that big of a collection in the way that I am. Uh, like I, so I just did a video. Actually, the funny thing is the dark room were doing TikTok, which I wouldn't have done if it wasn't for doing social <laughs> media for the dark room. Personally, it's yeah. something yep. that I wouldn't yep. do, but someone asked like you know, they do this thing where you're like how many cameras do you have and then you can respond to a comment so i went through and counted all of them and i have 20 total um but that's okay in- nice, but that's nice. including two of them are kodak duo flexes one of which mm-hmm. 
has been turned into a planter for a jade plant <laughs> um, because it wasn't working. <sighs> so I, I actually did a video about that where I show both of them. I'm so like, I I've actually this. shot yes. with both of them so and good. stuff like that. And uh, so I have cameras like that. Like I have right up here, I have like a little spy camera. That was my grandpa's. I've never shot with that. Oh. So that one, I'm counting that as in my 20, but I have a 3D printed camera that was give, gifted to me and I've not, I've shot a few rules. So there's some that just sit there that are more like just they're there to be seen. Um, but if I wasn't working for the dark room, I would have less cameras because I do a lot of film comparisons and I do those mainly with my Canon's the EOS EOS cannons because I have the same lenses that can interchange right. and it's easy. So if I wasn't working for the dark room, I probably wouldn't have those other than one as like a point and shoot type style. I think I'd probably only have around five to 10. <gasps> wow. That is discipline. Well, here's that the is thing. Real discipline. When I listen to, when I listen to your guys's podcast you know, and I've, I think it's 32 now. Is this 33? Okay, so... I think it might be... This might be yes. 33, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, I know it is, because I remember when I was listening to 32, I was thinking of... I was like, oh, it's 10 away from 42, you know, the answer of life. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, right. I was like, maybe that's what Gabe will say on the 42. It's like this there the you answer go. to life. Yeah, from <laughs> Hitchhikers. Um, yes. But, uh, oh, yeah, so whenever I listen to you guys... You know, I hear Gabe talking about bringing a bunch of cameras, and then I hear you, Jeff, talking about uh, only bringing one camera. And I have this like little nervous feeling <laughs> on both ends, where I'm like, Gabe, that's way too much, and then Jeff, that's way too little. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, type thing where I'm like somewhat of in between. Like when I travel or go out, like I have this peak design like sling bag. Yeah, and I when I travel, I limit myself that I pretty much only bring what I can fit in that. So right. so it's typically a you know like my FM3A with a forty, which is my favorite focal length, and then a second lens, and then I typically bring one like point and shoot type of camera so then it's just like i'm covered there so right. i i feel like if i was on my own doing my like just personally shooting that's kind of how i would function well i think the truth is you need more bags you need more bags is really the issue <laughs> if you had more bags you put more cameras in and take them with you i'm just saying <laughs> i have two bags a... <laughs> oh my goodness i have one like, and i barely use it what's... i i, I want to ask about your love affair with the fm3a because i I had an FM3A. I've had it for a long time. I love it. Absolutely. It's probably one probably eh, my sort of favorite utilitarian SLR mm -hmm. of any SLR I own. The Alpa is my all-time favorite camera, but it is exotic. The FM3A, <laughs> I find particularly I'm with you. 40 millimeter is my favorite focal length for 35 millimeter shooting. I love it in a rangefinder, and there are so few SLRs mm -hmm. where you can get a 40 millimeter lens. I happened to be looking on eBay the other day to see what the Olympus OM 40 millimeter lens is going for, $1,700. Oh, what? Wow. That's insane. I didn't wow. even know that was a thing. Insane. <laughs> no. Only because it's rare. 
Uh, it's not even supposed to be a very good lens. It's just rare. But I want to hear about like how you came upon the FM3A and how it sort of vaulted to the top of your list and became the camera that you sort of depend on the most. So, I mean, I've I've been really lucky to be able to shoot with a bunch of cameras, not because I've owned a lot of them, but because I know people like you guys, like like Phil, the owner of the darkroom has let me shoot with a lot of his cameras and I've worked with different companies that will let me try them out. And I always that person that's like, oh, this is a nice camera, then I have to give it away. <laughs> and uh, I would say the M5 was for sure the nicest best camera I had like first camera ever. But, uh, for me, what I like doing a rangefinder just didn't really work well for me. Like I like getting up, I like, I just like pure versatility. Like I like, like the way my mind works is when I'm going into something, I want to know that I'm covered, uh, with one item, not with like being like, Oh, if I want to shoot this way, I need to switch bodies. I just want one that can do it all. So with my M5 and when I was shooting like with that or any other rangefinder, I started realizing limitations with like slower shutter speeds. If I and and uh, seeing through the lens and when I and I found out I like a 40 millimeter, putting a 40 on the frame lines were different unless it was a CL or something like that, which I would love to own. If I were, I don't have a rangefinder right now. I don't own one. Um, mm -hmm. So. It was like this long, like, and I love the Canon EOS cameras, like the Rebels versatility with the shutter speeds, like high shutter speeds and metering and all of that. But there is something soulless to me about them. Like they worked well for me. I love them. I love an underdog and they're great cameras, like the Rebel and the Elan right. 7. But there's still something that I wanted to be proud to hold and, and like enjoy shooting in a way. So it was just like, all of those worlds mixed into one became that FM3A in the sense that what well, the first one I got was the FM2N, which is a great camera. And I recommend that to most people. Like a lot of people want to get the FM3 and I'm always telling them like the FM2 is just as good. It's just one step sure. down, but not mm -hmm. in quality. The quality is going to be the same. What I liked about it, the FM3A was like kind of like a grail camera. And when I had the money, when I sold a lens for the M5, which covered, it was a Sumalux 50, which is a story that how I got that. I never bought that oh, lens. Oh, it's so good. Oh, please um, tell the story. Jeff, do you know this? No, I don't. Oh, it's I'd fantastic. It's fantastic. Should I tell that now or after this? Yeah, tell it now. Tell it now. Okay. Why not? Tell that, and then we'll come back. We're very good at this. Okay, we'll don't let lie. me get yeah. lose track. We won't. Okay, so we won't. I'll make it quick. So I, so I lived in Yosemite for three years. That's how I ended up out in California in the first place. And I had a friend that was going there and they're like, Hey, you know, Yosemite well, like, where should I go for a hike? So I was telling, I told them this area in the Valley, they went on a hike later on, they messaged me and they're like, Hey, we found this, this Leica lens in the river, like three feet down in the river. <laughs> what? And oh my like, God. Yeah. And they were like, do you want it? And I was like, Oh, well, it'd be a cool paperweight. Like in my mind, I was like, that thing has to be ruined. So they give it to me at a beers and cameras in Sacramento. And uh, it has a red filter on it. And I'm like, oh, this person shot film, black and white film, because who's going to be putting a red filter? Right. Like, and I was like, that person, it was a Sumilux, a spherical, the newest version, 1.4. 
and I didn't have a camera for, I didn't own a Leica. It was like, Leica was like the dream at the time, a misguided dream for me. Like I thought not that they're not good, but like, I thought it was like the end all, like it was the right. That would be it. Right. Yeah. And so I met, uh, I don't know if you guys know Ben Carpenter from camera West, but I met him and him along with Phil from the dark room, let me borrow cameras to shoot that lens on. And then found out that it was amazing. Um, and the lens was perfectly sharp. If I stopped it down to like F 11, which I rarely do, I could see some stuff if it was like the sky, but it was perfect. Hmm. So that's how I ended up with that lens. I ended up with that M five, um, from my good friend, um, David Orr in Sacramento. And, uh, so I ended up with that black M five. It is my favorite Leica. I think the M five, I, I could pitch a whole, I could do a whole 30 minutes on why I think the M five's better than the others in most mm-hmm. ways. <gasps> oh yeah. Um, which I left a note for Gabe when he got it. Yes. So good. But, but yeah, when I when I realized that I was leaving, that I was gonna sell that Sumolux because I just was gonna get rid of the M5. I sold the Sumolux, and that could cover the FM3A, the 40 millimeter, and the which is the uh, Voigtlander, and the Nocton 58.14. So I bought all of that right. with that one lens that had been in the bottom of a river. Wow, unbelievable! So, so that's how I got that, and that. The FM3A along with the FM series in general is just so amazing because it's so tiny. Uh, it's so durable. It fits in your hand really well. Uh, I I love the FM3A for its stepless meter when it's in auto mode and how you can lock. Exp- like I, I used to shoot it manually a lot more, but then I started to be like, I don't really need to because I know where I'm metering in the scene. So I'll lock that meter in where I'm metering for the scene and then frame because it has the exposure lock yep. um, on the, at the thumb, which is such a cool setting for that type of camera. And then the stepless meter is also amazing because technically it's, I don't know how it works technically, but it's, <laughs> right, right, you know, right. it's going in between things or whatever. So it must be pretty accurate because yeah. And I love it. And I can shoot double exposures with it. It's just everything that I want in a camera is in that camera. I was out shooting with mine this morning with ectochrome slide film in it. I had a roll of ectochrome 100 that was sitting languishing in the fridge. And I'm like, it's a beautiful day. I got to get out and shoot with this. My son and I went out for lunch in Highland Park. And it was just a reminder, once again, this camera is so easy. It just, it is the same thing they say about the Leica is that it falls away and that it mm-hmm. stops being an impediment between right. your eye and the scene. I think the FM3A is the same thing. I believe Gabe quoted you as saying that the FM3A is the Leica killer. Oh, totally. I mean, that mm-hmm. was definitely, what happened is Trev was so passionate about this camera and I kept hearing about it and sort of listening and then listening and we talked about it more and talked about it more and talked about it more. And then what is the deal with this camera? It's like, I have the FM2N and I, I loved it, but he goes, you got it. It's like, you know, aperture priority and, you know, just talking about it. And it's so funny because, you know, I usually get the camera and it's going to be a little bit complicated. Like in my head, I get a camera and I'm thinking, oh, I got to figure this out on and on. Again, it was so easy. The quality was amazing. I love the same thing, how it fit in the hand. And I just love taking it out because I feel like it's so comfortable. I almost feel like I'm cheating. 
You know, it feels like I put it at aperture priority. I love the quality of the shots and and that was it. And then, uh, you know, Jeff heard how much I spoke about it. And then Jeff told a birdie and yes. Fred Corey, our composer, gave it to me. And I just have never been happier. I love it. Yeah, it's such it a, is really remarkable. You guys want to know something cool about the FM 3A? So if here, just a minute. So the FM 2 all the mm -hmm. FMs, viewers won't see this, but if you see the top of the camera, the FM2s have this flat. It doesn't go to a point. The prism is yeah. flat, it's flat at the top. So an FM3 was their last truly mechanical flagship camera. Right. And their first was the F, and it had that pointy mm -hmm. prism. So the right. FM3 has a point. It doesn't go flat. So it's like oh, in... So cool basically going back to the original which was i thought was really cool because i love the, the f with the classic prism like if i were to get sure me too one more camera to just to have would just literally be that one with like i forget the standard prism i love that camera yes it is great i notice you have the black fm3a mm -hmm. now yes. i have the chrome gabe has the black do you have a preference for black cameras or chrome cameras you know, I went in and out. It, the black was harder to find. I typically like black, uh, because but I think I think the chrome's prettier. Um, I had the FM two and it was in chrome, so I was just like, I, I like having two bodies where I'll shoot that one with color and the the black one with black and white. I don't know why. It's just in my mind that's how it works for me. Right. But there was a time where I was like, oh man, I wish that I got the chrome one. So I've went back and forth between because this is like the, the end all camera for me. Like I want to keep it forever, give it to my daughter uh, and her to shoot it someday. But I actually kind of like that. It's not that flashy. People don't know what it is when it's black. So, right. uh, so like when I'm, you know, beers and cameras, people don't actually usually notice that camera that much compared to if it was the Chrome one, which again, I really do like, but the Chrome ones are, they uh, they were cheaper. I kind of do wish I would get would have got it, but then I'm, I don't know. I like the black. Do you yeah. have the matching forty with the sort of inverted lens shade, the one that kind of shipped with the camera? Is that the one you have? No, I have a true forty. That's a forty-five. Um, oh, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you have the? Do you remember do you who you're the, talking to? Okay, let me. Yeah, I have the Voigtlander. Okay, tell me about what you have there. This. Oh right. So okay. this is the Ultron. Um, yep. They've been making the this this lens is incredible. Uh, you can buy the older version and it's a true pancake. This is just the newer version and they made it look like like more retro. Um, but yeah, That's I love. Cool. I actually don't own a Nikon like a Nikkor lens. I have the twenty eight uh, scope R. I have the forty yep. Ultron. The Nocton 58, which is incredible. And then I have the 98 uh, Apo. Oh, nice. Wow. Cool. I want to ask you about one of the things that I wanted to get your perspective on as someone, you know, who works with a company that is obviously intensely engaged with film photography. In the, even in the time we've been doing this podcast, which is about a year and a half, we have seen the hobby become much more expensive. Mm -hmm. The cost of film is going up across the board. 
I think you guys have got done a really good job of holding down the cost of processing, but mm-hmm. the cost of gear is soaring in this crazy way. And I wonder if you feel like it is changing the contours of the hobby because of the changing cost of getting involved. Are you seeing that from your end? Uh, Yeah, I mean, yes and no. You know, if people really wanna get, like the people that are already in it, I don't think it changes as much. It maybe changed their expectation of what cameras they might own someday, which is even something right. me too, where I'm just like, yeah, like there's some cameras I'm like, no, I won't ever own that because it's expensive. Getting into it, I could see why that's so hard uh, because you know you you could watch someone like me or anyone or a lot of different photographers and they have you know a nice Nikon or a nice Leica and then they look up that price and they're like net yeah, that won't ever happen. Uh, but that's why with like the dark room when we're posting about it, uh, I, I try to do a lot of stuff that's really attainable, like with the Nikon yeah, or I mean the, the Canon rebels, which are incredible cameras and the, the, all the, the Nikons, there's so many cheap cameras out there. So, you know, if people understand where to start and they don't think that they have to own the biggest, baddest, best camera, yep. I don't think it should affect it. I do think that could affect it in a positive way in the sense that it could strip people of so many options where they focus on one or two or like one system, one camera and be really intentional. And even with the, the cost of film going up, I've talked about this in the past where like I have told people, like some people I don't shoot film cause it's like out of my budget. I'm like, what, do you right. have a budget for like one role in development? Because, you know, you could take that one role, give it an assignment for a month and say, I only shoot this role out when I go out to coffee with friends, or I only shoot this in morning walk or something, give it assignment, right. give it intention. And then you can make that role have so much value. So I think, and it won't cost as much. So you don't have to shoot like 20 roles a month to to be satisfied type thing and let people know that it's not about volume, it's quality. That's really great. But, but yeah, I, I, there's definitely the potential for that to have a negative effect too. But on the lab side, I mean, we still see people so passionate about it, wanting to get into it. And also the younger generation don't think thinks about the cost as much because they grew up thinking that it's normal to buy a cell phone for a thousand dollars. So true. So like for like us, like for me, like I remember flip phone or, well, I'm not lumping in with you guys. You guys have a different perspective than I do, but I mean, like still like me, like, you know, I remember things being way cheaper. So I think the younger generation might not bat an eye as much as maybe I would. Are you seeing people print more? Is there any sort of drive to print more? Because we're always encouraging people to get stuff printed, send it to the darkroom. They do all kinds of prints. And and I'm just wondering what that's like right now. I can't tell you the numbers that right. I, I don't know, have any specific numbers, but I know I, I would guess that the drive, the print, the interest, the print is high because of Good. photo books and people talking about their prints. Whenever I post stuff about prints, people really react well to it. And uh, I try to explain to people like whatever you feel when you get that notification, that your scans have uploaded like there's something different than when you're holding that one print in your hand of the your favorite oh, yeah. photo um and 
so yeah, just trying to explain that to people where it's something special, something to give to someone. Like we live in such a digital world where you can take a great portrait of someone, tag them on Instagram, but that only goes so far where right. like if you hand them a print or, you know, even if they don't want to have a print of themselves, they give it to the parents or grandparents or something like that. It's just something different. You know, you're you're reminding me, you're talking about how you're back in Ohio now and you're closer to your family and you have young kids that are growing up and stuff. What's the emotional component of photography for you? Like, what does it mean? Is it something you grew up with or is that something, is it linked to the hobby? I just, I'd love to hear you talk about that. I mean, I just always two things i guess i would have always had like a desire to like create stuff i i grew up drawing drawing a lot when i was younger and um so i liked and i like stories i like storytelling and like my family has cards you know cards against humanity we have yeah. leaves against humanity and we use the normal cards that they done and my wife has taken all of our stories from my three brothers and all of our family and made our own little cards. And they're just like this remembering stories from the past. And that's kind of like how I like think. And then, you know, with photography, it's just something that though being creative and remembering things really works well together um, to be able to be creative and remember stuff like that. So, and yeah, so I got into photography. I think it was, well, I was in college and I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was in like digital stuff and it was just boring. And it was um, like all about editing and all about tech specs and, and right. HDR and Photoshop and stuff like that. It was once I finally got into a photo school and people started talking about the, the idea behind it that I really fell in love with it. But I don't know if that answers. I, I you know, I do love photographing like it changed when I when I got when I had my daughter, um, right? And I love taking photos of her, taking photos with her. She, I give her my Canon Rebel um, with a twenty eight, and she has gotten pretty good at like it's kind of like a game <laughs> where my wife and I, ha- wife Hannah and I, have to get in front of her. It's like like just like trying to get in front of the lens wherever she moves. She's gonna take it, and we don't know when. Right, of course. But. Yeah, I know for me, I mean, my son was born in 98 and I, at that time I owned one or two cameras and then suddenly I had the world's most interesting subject to photograph. Mm-hmm. And of course it was coincident with this beautiful and never to be repeated time when film equipment was so incredibly inexpensive and yeah. you could pick up the 35 millimeter cameras of your dreams for, you know, under $100. You could get a whole outfit, like a Nikon outfit for under $100. And so that's when I started not just taking more photos, like you're saying, but also just acquiring more gear because it was so easy to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's always it's always been this dichotomy for me as well between like this intense interest in the technical side, but the emotional component of capturing images and capturing moments. I wonder if for you, because it's also your job, does that ever kind of does it ever siphon the joy out of the hobby that it's part of what you do for a living oh yeah yeah (laughs) not like i mean not in like it's just it's just like finding a balance i mean there's like so many things it's like it's like comparing social media to real life like 
is there right. good things about social media? Yes. Does it suck life from you sometimes? <laughs> yes. Like, should you find a balance? So I, um, in, in general, but luckily Phil and Keith from the dark room who, are, you know, I've been working with them for seven years. They have kind of just let me do my own thing. So for the most part, what I do technically for the dark room revolves around per some level of my own personal vision of what I do. So like say I'm shooting a role for myself. So then I'll be like, I'm going to bracket it and I'm going to talk about where I metered. And then I'll just like remember that for the next, when I get those scans back and I'll see those bracketed things. And sometimes I'll take notes about it and I'll just explain like, so, you know, 95% of that role is personal. No one will see that. Uh, on like the dark room, but that those like five photos. So that's kind of, I've kind of gotten better at it. It used to be a lot harder um, to, to switch back and forth between the two. Right. Let's talk about the dark room. Okay. Okay. Is everyone that nice there? <laughs> <laughs> because I got to tell you, I have only had good experiences there. And I've, you know, we told the story early on, which I'm sure you've heard where I was so excited to, cause I'm so nervous about mailing stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I don't have any issues with it. But in the beginning, I had issues with it. And I would make a trip every other week down to San Clemente and deliver my thing. I remember you talking and about I, that. Yeah. I was so excited to go in the dark room. And we had just gone. You know, actually, Jeff was in almost the same tour as me. Do you know that? And we didn't even see each other. Yeah. And uh, when we were at the film Paideia, which was so much fun. Oh, wait, and, Jeff, you were there too? Yeah, he was there too. Yeah. I, I was there. That. I was there just for a short time. I was at the I was at the first time I went to the FPP event in San Clemente. I wasn't at that. That was before, yeah. And then I went to the Paideia, the one that was rainy. Yeah. And I guess I was only there for the first day, but I guess Gabe and I were both there, but we did not know each other as well back then. <laughs> so we just kind of passed in the night. So funny. But I, the tour was so great, but I just loved going down there and, and <laughs> turning in my film and pretending that they were going to go, oh, how are you? Mm -hmm. Come on in. Let's see. That. It was so yeah, funny. Yeah, you wanted to be greeted like Sinatra in Like Vegas. I was so excited like, to come make, on in, make man. that two-hour drive. But I got to tell you, it's, 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 everyone's so great there. And it's, um, it's really fun to sort of know a place. Like, you know, people ask, you know, you, you hear about labs and you don't, there's no real personal connection and you sort of, you know, you get a mailer and you don't know there are people there and there's people that care about what they do and they're very, mm -hmm. you know, want to make sure you are happy with your result. And, you know, I find that, you know, very true of the dark room and it's always been a great experience there. So how's that process? Well, one, I mean, it's hard not to be nice to people that are nice. So <laughs> you're just a very friendly, nice person. Not that we're not nice. It's just, it's easier. Um yeah. You know, the dark room, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like whenever I'm in the lab, the volume that they're going through and uh, it's a mixture of people really care about what they do, but also just a regimented um, like good structure of making things work really well and not getting off into the weeds of different things. Like they're just uh, Phil and Keith, especially Phil, just very driven on, making things as streamlined as possible making things work really well. 
uh, and getting it right from the beginning, because if we mess up login or something like that, just things that you wouldn't even think about before even development, there's so many issues, especially when you're getting a lot of orders. Um, right. And everyone's just really nice. You probably have interacted with Carrie a lot. She's our customer yep. service, main customer service. Um, and she's just a really nice person. She's a very patient person. Right. Uh, <laughs> Cause you know, we, we, you know, we're dealing with, people in the whole spectrum of just brand new um, where they don't like, we've had people just being like, Hey, I took the film out of the cartridge. Um, Like, how do I get it developed? They're like, Oh man, (laughs) like it's ruined. (laughs) Sorry. Um, To to people who know everything they know, like they're, they know everything. So over time, we've just gotten really comfortable with working with people. We could tell some of the funniest stories ever about some of the, the best, like emails about like just the most outrageous, hilarious stuff that we get asked. Uh, But overall, it's just people that really care. They want to do a good job. Um, And, uh, but also we're constantly learning too. I mean, like with what I'm doing with like social media, I started doing it seven years ago, uh, which is crazy. That's been that long. I knew very little. Like I just, I just learned with everyone. I was like, what, like if you learned something from me, I learned it a week prior. So it was like this, like just gradual step of learning alongside with everyone that was learning from what I was posting and learning. That's so great. It's, it's really fun. And I, I always, you know, Jeff and I are often talking to photographers and, and also people who are just starting and, you know, often they're going to a local like drugstore or mm-hmm. something like that, and then not satisfied because they don't understand the process. So we're always turning them on to you and, you know, having the mail stuff in. And, and we're always going, please put your information because sometimes they get roles and there's no information. Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> I told you about that, right? Yeah. So one thing I like to tell people, too, is, you know, I respond to all of the social media messages and of people that are worried about shipping in their film, just like you were. And I let right. people know, I'm like, I do the exact same thing. I make an order just like you I package yep. it up. I ship it out. Um, I've done it from Yosemite. I've done it from Sacramento, from Ohio, all over. I've only had like one major issue and um it what it still made it there just took took two weeks and um but yeah it's it's one of those things where it's fun to be able to put people at ease like when they're worried about something or certain things and be able to help them where i'm like no i've been there i've been stressed and worried just about the same stuff and you know like usps will fix this this is what you do um, but in general, we don't really have that many issues with that. It's just like, every, if there's one that sticks out, you know, it's just like that one negative thing when really it's like 99.9%, there's like no issues like that, but, but yeah. That's and, so and when it comes to the drugstore, we try to nicely let people know about that without like throwing anything under the bus. Right. Just by, you know, like we always return the negatives. Um, we, you know, you can order, we like offer ordering prints, we upload scans, we offer black and white prints on uh, black and white paper, which is something that's really unique that we do. Um, totally. Yep. Not an enlargement. Oh, it's, it's actually, we have one of, I think it's, I don't know, we're one of the few labs that has a printer that's converted the print on silver gelatin RC paper, which is a really cool thing because you can order that after the fact instead of getting proof prints for a role that you might not like. Um, right. You can pick one or two 
and you could even tweak it or edit it technically if you like doing that and then re-upload it and print it which is really cool and so i did with both of these like letting people yeah those like, are beautiful you after after the fact um you don't have to do it straight from the scan right well you're our favorite lab and you're our favorite guy at our favorite lab yeah so thank you please let uh, please, before we wrap up, let everyone know where they can find you and where they can find the dark room on those great internets. So me, it's just uh, at Trevly on Instagram or trevlyphotography.com. And then the dark room is always uh, the dark room lab. And that's, that's, uh, that is Instagram, TikTok. Um, and uh, obviously our, blo- our website as well. We have a lot of resources on there, like our film yep. index and stuff like that, which we're currently revamping right now. <laughs> the TikToks are so great. Oh yeah, they, they I, really, the TikToks are so good. I am not yet on the TikTok, but Gabe passes them along. Yes, I send them to, to me, you. So. It's actually, I, yeah, I've actually liked it. I don't like saying that, but I certainly <laughs> do like it. But yeah, you're asking if I'm going to be in California. I will be- yeah. I will be going there quarterly for the most part um, okay. from Ohio. So I would love to meet up with you guys sometime. Absolutely. That's a definite, that's a definite plan. We're in. And love to, uh, you guys should come out here sometime. We'd love to. Uh, We'd love that. It's in the cards for yes, sure. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. I'll even meet, I'll meet you somewhere like Chicago or something. <laughs> it's yeah. a deal. Excellent. All right. Well, listen, thanks again for the time. It's been great talking to you. We could do two hours with you. I like know. You said, we could do an hour just on the FM3A. Please <laughs> come back and join us again. Yes, we want and, you on uh, again. To those people out in listener land, this is a lab you got to know about. And we just encourage everybody, particularly people who are getting started in the hobby. It's just a great starting point. They're always going to treat you well, and they're always going to do good work for you. Thanks, guys. It was great talking to you. And yeah, I'd love to be back on. It's a deal. All right. Thanks, buddy. And we're back. Oh, my gosh. Trev. I love Trev. Love Trev. I mean, Thank you, Trev. there's never enough time for everything we want to talk about with that guy. He's brilliant, such a passionate advocate for film photography, and also just a great photographer. Check him out Please. on the Instagram. And, of course, we heartily endorse The Dark Room for all of your film photography needs. Episode 34 draws to a close. How do you feel? I'm a little emotional, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get over it because I'm gonna get ready for 35. 35, as in 35 millimeter, is our oh, next yes. episode. Yes, worth celebrating. And worth right around the corner, right around the right corner around the... is is episode 120. That's right. It'll be here before you know it. As always, you can find us on the Instagram. I dream of cameras. Gabe is Gabe Sachs. I'm S. Jeff Greenstein. Who do we have to thank? We have to thank. The amazing Fred Corey for our music and sound and sound bites and all that fun stuff. We love when a rock star can contribute to our cause. We are very yes. appreciative of that. And of course, Keith Greenstein for our look, coming up with new photographic crazy shirts we're so excited about. So uh, Keith is a new you, owner of Olympics XA4, by the way. What? Really? He bought an XA4, yes, and he Does loves he it. Does he hate it yet or not yet? No, he absolutely <laughs> loves it. You sure. get yours fixed, man. Sure, I believe it. <laughs> all right. And with that, take us out of here, man. Thank you all. I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad that my GoFundMe hit 12 million or I wouldn't have been able to get that camera. So thank you so much for everyone for contributing a dollar. That's a dollar a viewer. That's how we got our 12 million. And we will see you next episode. Bye. <laughs>